It has been months since Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida, and recovery efforts continue as the Gulf Coast of Florida rebuilds after this last major storm to hit the U.S. Our own Paul Holden spent his holiday on the island and saw the impact firsthand. On September 28th, Hurricane Ian, a Category 4 hurricane, slammed into Florida's Gulf Coast. The storm ended up being the second most deadly storm this century, with 148 deaths and massive devastation across Fort Myers and the surrounding area, including the home of my parents, Sanibel Island. That day, I was told to prepare to say goodbye to my brother, who stayed to face the storm head-on. Luckily, he, his loyal dog, and his home survived. Two months later, recovery in Fort Myers and on Sanibel and in the region continues. I spent my holiday on the island with my parents, as I do every year, who just got their AC and internet back just days before I arrived. I was prepared to see damage, but finally seeing the impacts of a hurricane in person was something I won't forget anytime soon. Debris lined the streets, and every day, truck after truck would scour the island, lifting the tangled mess of home appliances, bikes, kayaks, and more. While the strong winds ripped shingles and collapsed roofs, when I spoke with my family and people on the island, there was a common theme. No one was prepared for the storm surge. The big difference with this Sanibel, with this hurricane, uh, is the storm surge. And this, this hurricane was sort of the picture-perfect example of what the science community is telling us is going to happen more frequently with climate change. The hurricane was high intensity and was just shy of a a category five. It also was extremely slow moving, which is, you know, something that we're seeing more um, as the changes in the um, in the in the jet stream occur. It's it's not pushing these storms out. So the storm just sat out there for hours and that combined with higher sea levels allowed just massive amounts of surge to come over. And it's been, I think, close to 100 years before San- since Sanibel's seen anything like this before. That's Bob Moore, Sanibel resident and co-chair of the Sanibel Captiva Renewable Energy Group. Many view Sanibel as just a vacation destination, but thousands of people live there year-round. And when the storm hit, it caused organizations and businesses to pivot like Keeley Moore and the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation. A thousand people stayed on this island during the storm is the estimate. And it's just everyone needed to get off this island and and get the resources they needed. And so we, we helped with that for the first few um, days after the storm. And then we realized that we needed to shift gears and the community needed our help. Anyone in the community that reached out that needed help, um, it was an all-staff effort for us to to change um, our motivation to, to help them out. So we were taking moldy drywall off it, people's garages, and we were helping people remove debris from their yards and taking moldy furniture out to the curb for them because these people, like, it's, it's weird for outsiders to feel like people live on Sanibel because it's such a tourist destination and but people work out here people live out here full time and a lot of these people um are elderly they're they're retired and this is where they chose to to live out you know their retired life and they don't always have the the income and the needs the means to to help them themselves out themselves so we definitely came in and, and helped them out which was great it was a good feeling to help the community 
businesses that I've come to know and love. As Sanibel has become my holiday home for about five years, sat closed and boarded up, damaged with broken windows. Well, it's just wiped us all out. Um, there are very few businesses that are functioning at this point on the island. Um, you know, we've had, uh, thankfully, Jerry's, where we're sitting, is open, and that's been a, uh, almost a North Star, just having a grocery store here where you can go and buy napkins and paper towels and things like that. Jeff Blackman, owner of Sanibel Carts, thought he prepared enough, but that wasn't the case. So many hurricanes come near and swerve at the last minute that, and we've all been through hurricanes uh, that set your expectations for what to think is going to happen. And I think even those of us who thought we were preparing, obviously weren't preparing for storm surges of, you know, eight and a half feet in our house and four feet in our office and all that sort of thing. Sanibel's mission statement is conservation. There are no high-rise buildings. There are special rules to follow when it comes to using the water. Amongst all the conversation, some on Sanibel, like Bob Moore, believe their efforts working with nature help them endure this storm and that it's time to work together ahead of the next. These are not partisan political issues. These are not things that affect Democrats and Republicans differently. We need to align as as U.S. citizens and understand that this is science and that we do have solutions and it's not just the environment versus the economy the solutions that we have to reduce our carbon footprint are also drivers of our economy we're going to fall behind the rest of the world if we don't really rapidly align ourselves and get rid of all the politics and focus on solving these problems while community is strong on the island Moore says the message is clear The threat isn't over. This happens everywhere, where it gets national coverage a week or two after the event, and then it starts trickling away. There's other things happening all over, you know, the world and the country, but we're still dealing with this. This is going to be something we're dealing with for years to come. The debris that is all over this island, the, the impact that this storm had is substantial. So even just the locals doing our wildlife sightings and helping us collect data so we know the impact the full impact of this storm and getting people just to understand that this is a problem that's probably not going away anytime soon we're going to probably have another hurricane you know this is a cycle uh, we had charlie we had irma we had now ian so this is this is an area that gets impacted by hurricanes. We know that living here, that that's what we choose to, to deal with. But the severity of them and what we probably will deal with in the future is only going to be better understood by understanding what happened here um, with Ian and getting that data from from the locals and getting the locals here to care. But outside people um, that don't live in Southwest Florida, it's one of those things you can always donate money and that's great. But just getting an understanding of how these hurricanes and storms impact areas like this, these communities, like this is a city, people work here, people live here full time, even though it's hard that to understand that when you visit, it's it devastated an entire city. 
That's a good point. I mean, it drops out of the news, but the um, the reconstruction continues. And Sanibel Island was hit by the hurricane on September 28th. And you may remember the very famous picture of the causeway that connected it to the mainland. Just the middle section just collapsing into the water. Thanks, Paul. For- this is Seattle's Morning News. It turns out that, uh, probably won't surprise you, but when it comes to getting help for a mental illness of some kind, men are very reluctant to go into counseling. Mickey Gomez joins us now. You have a, a young son, and ha- when he gets into difficulty, is he open to counseling? He is not. And I'm glad you asked the question. However, I'm the parent. And so he does go to counseling. And the numbers are really eyebrow raising, Dave, because according to mental health experts, um, men are in a mental health crisis right now. And I know that I can't speak on behalf of you because you're a man. (laughs) But uh, according to the numbers, men generally don't ask for mental health help. Um, And it's time that we normalize this. Now, why is and, now you say men in particular in a mental health crisis? Because mm-hmm. of what? Is there some overriding factor or stressor about modern life that is particularly harmful to men? One of the uh, contributing factors, according to both articles that I read, one from The New York Times and one from Forbes, uh, and then speaking to um, a psychologist who is a good friend of mine, and she tells me that men just don't open up. Now, I know that that's a generalized statement. Not all men have that issue. However, a majority of men uh, feel the pressure. They feel the pressure that they've got to bring home the money. They've they, Some men have been laid off during the pandemic and haven't been able to find work or they're working, but not in their uh, actual career or degree. Um, there's pressures from marriage. There's just these overwhelming world issues. And sometimes men don't want to talk about it. And then they bottle it all up. And then what ends up happening or what could happen in their life? I mean, the recent loss of DJ Steven Twitch boss is what really made me want to pull the curtain back on men suffering in silence. Um, And like you said, I do have a young man at home. He's 14 years old. He suffers from depression and generalized anxiety, uh, uh, which we found out later. So did his donor. We found out after the fact. So what worries me is that when he is an adult, and he is on his own, will he fall prey to the notion that men expressing their feelings is a sign of weakness and just bottle it all up and not go to therapy and not take his medication because all of those are signs of weakness and men are meant to be strong. Yeah, so you you trace it back to this continuing um, socialization, the way men are socialized, to to not complain, to um, just accept the fact that they have to be the breadwinner and they can never cry. So what... We've been aware of this for a long time. I, I can remember growing up that, that there was a discussion uh, back then. Uh, why is that such a tough nut to crack? What are the mechanisms that, since we know better now, I assume, mm-hmm. who is actually causing this this dysfunctional socialization of men? I believe it's our culture. What's really interesting is that the New York Times says that mental health experts have long known that while women have uh, nearly twice the rate of depression diagnoses, men are much more likely to die by ending their life uh, or they're going to die by a drug overdose or alcohol related deaths, um, which are referred to as deaths of despair. So culturally, 
you know, I know in my culture, men are considered machismo. They're the workers. They don't cry. They, you know, crying is a sign of weakness. So there's still that cultural aspect in some communities that, you know, portray men are strong, men don't break. And that's absolutely not true. Dave, nearly 80% of suicides are among men with males over the age of 75. And those who work traditionally blue collar jobs like mining, construction, agriculture, they've got the highest rates right now. So if you notice these symptoms, are there ways that you can, because I I think it's like saving face, right? If there's an anonymous way to check yourself into a facility, I think men would probably do it. But if it involves, you know, bearing your soul to your family, never. So what are the alternatives here? What we've found is that CEOs, 92% of CEOs report that their companies have increased a focus on mental health as a result of the pandemic, right? So more companies are offering EAP employee assistance programs because 80% of CEOs believe that poor employee mental health impacts worker productivity. We also know that the media is targeting men when it comes to mental health issues like uh, Michael Phelps and Talkspace. So they're putting out, they're, they're, you know, really targeting men who are suffering from these issues and trying to get them to come into a talk space, trying to get men to to know that they have a safe space to go where they can bear all, where they can cry, where they can say, hey, I've got this issue. It's insurmountable and I don't know what to do about it. Instead of having to take it home, maybe to the wife or, or, or to the to the parents or to the family, you know, there there are safe spaces for men to go to get the help that they need in the event that they can't go home and tell their families. And that's that's kind of come about in the last couple of years. Um, you know, marketing is just really targeting men and saying, hey, we know you need help. It's out there. Get it. Mickey Gomez. Mickey, thank you. You're very welcome. How to get workers back to the office. This morning's commentary sponsored by Wafed Bank. There are still a lot of empty offices in Seattle, but it's not just Seattle. It's across the country, San Francisco, Philadelphia, even Manhattan, where the office vacancy rate is 22 percent. That's more than twice the vacancy rate in Seattle. And it's bad enough that New York City is seriously considering rethinking Manhattan. Mayor Eric Adams wants to reimagine Fifth Avenue, for example, as a pedestrian mall. The idea is to attract people back downtown, not just to work but to live and to make downtown living more affordable. New York has been reclaiming underused office buildings, which makes a lot of sense to me. The pandemic got a lot of office workers hooked on the commute free life. So if companies really want workers physically back at the office, they need to eliminate the commute. So why not pay them to live downtown in snazzy state of the art, remodeled office buildings near their workplace? If your home is just a few blocks from your office or even in the same building, it's a lot easier to show up in person. And then when the computer acts up as it will or the IT, the IT guy's right there to fix it. It's not you. Plus, there's a cleaning service to tidy up afterwards. You can concentrate on your job instead of the distractions and the chores being at home. And you get a change of scene. Your work life and your home life would still be separate, just not by 20 miles. You can easily walk home for a midday nap or enjoy a nightcap after work without needing a $50 Uber. And at the same time, you're saving the earth because you're not driving in circles every day. With less freeway traffic, we wouldn't have to spend billions to turn freeways into runways. 
and no more stress from tailgaters sniffing your car's genitals or BMWs practicing for Daytona. You'd finally see non-athletes in the bike lanes. Businesses would return, everybody would feel safer, and snow, snow would be somebody else's problem. Now it's time for the Daily Dose of Kindness, brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. Every holiday season, police departments participate in Shop with a Cop events. This year, the Auburn Police Department took kids to Walmart for a shopping spree. According to the department's Twitter feed, each school in the Auburn School District nominates two kids. Those kids get $100 to spend on gifts for themselves and family members. Plus, they get a personal law enforcement escort throughout the store. So we got that for $20. That for seventeen dollars, twenty and ten were at about sixty-seven dollars. Got more money to spend. In addition to the one hundred dollars each kid got to spend, Walmart pitched in an extra three thousand dollars for the event, and Walmart also provided each kid with a blanket, an art kit, and a scooter. A football, and these a Captain America for my brother, and a dinosaur for my brother. Law enforcement taking part, commanders, sergeants, detectives, officers, members of the animal control unit, pretty much everybody was out there. In addition, five Washington State Patrol members and a chief deputy from the U.S. Marshals Service. And Dave, that's really kind of what this uh, season's all about, isn't it? It is indeed. It is 7.48 now. Visiting us direct from the GNRs for the show, here's G. Scott. Hey, good morning, Dave. How was your drive this morning? Man, it was fantastic because my main man, Ted Beaner, told me what to do and how to do. I had nothing to worry. As a matter of fact, I didn't see any snow at all. All my brothers and sisters down in Pierce County, y'all know what I'm talking about. We left Pierce County this morning. We drove on up through Federal Way on up into Seattle. A little, little, little rain. That's yes. all. But no snow. How about how about the snow in Mercer Island? Is it uh, is it rich? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's flecked with gold. <laughs> but that really makes it hard to shovel because it's so heavy. Okay. <laughs> is it rich? <laughs> no, there's almost the only snow is on the top of my uh, recycling bin. That's about it. Mm. Yeah. But mm. anything could change. It's all up to the south wind, as Nick has told us. Right. So is your is all your uh, your, your holiday uh, all your holiday duties have been uh, fulfilled now? Yeah, they're done. I am ready. I'm ready for Sunday. I'm ready for Christmas Day. All of the uh, uh, presents are under the tree. Um, the, the first thing I had to do is make sure my wife was taken care of. That she was first, uh, second. You've, you've already given her her present? No, no. But it's under the tree. Oh, okay. And as a matter of fact, I was happy. Having a discussion with some uh, some guys in the text lo- uh, uh, on our text thread yesterday. I won't say I won't say their names, but I was having a text, and they were asking ideas on what to get their significant other. And so we're having this discussion, and it's, it's interesting because we had just had this discussion, Dave, uh, on our show yesterday. And so they were thinking, well, uh, what, what do you guys think about this? You think she might like that? And this? and I said, stop it. It is Christmas. For your significant other, it is time, Sully, to hit home runs. It is yeah. not it's not time for a base hit. It is not time for a walk. It's not time for a stand-up double. It is Christmas time. It is time to hit a home run for your significant other. Period point blank. So and- how do you do that? You, 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 you got to know for the no-brainers. You go for the no-brainers. And what do I mean by no-brainers? The ones that if you... If you have to say, 
Oh, well, oh, well, mm, let me see. Then that's not the one. That's not the gift. There is something that you can get for your significant other that you're saying, I can get that for, but it's going to cost a little bit. Well, that's the one you need to get. That's the one you get. That's see. the no, one you get. You, you must not give in to the... You must not worry about the price. You you, you cannot worry. I mean, first of all, I, I just want to be empathetic to, to those with, with costs and things like that. I don't want to be uh, so tone deaf with this discussion. But the discussion is just on your significant other. And Sully, you got to win, man. You, yeah. you, you got to hit a home run. Yeah, definitely. And I got Holly's birthday, too. Uh, so uh, that's right before Christmas. So I've got to try to make sure I hit two reasonable home runs. I'm not two 400 footers. They'll clear the fence. Clear, clear but, the fence. But, you know, but they're, you know, they're not, I'm not throwing them up into the second deck. But yeah. So, uh, but she also said, "Hey, our presence this year, we're following Tommy right, right. everywhere." She's like, "All the travel we did." And I'm like, "I can't do that because that's a lot. That's a loss. That's a she, that's a t- that's a bad bet right still, there." I, and by the way, I know that there's some folks is getting ready to leave on your holiday trip. Well, or our uh, Christmas presents was the remodel we did, or our Christmas present was the trip we're taking. <laughs> Don't get suckered that into that. Work, huh? No, give <laughs> them something to open on Christmas Day. Trust your boy on this. Now, Dave, let me ask you this, bro. Yes. Now, I'm talking about home runs. Yes. Since you've been married, has there ever been a Christmas in which you got to admit? You you just hit a base hit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like most of them. See, I, at this stage in our marriage, I have a list of all the things not to get. Okay. See. And so, and, and the the list of things to get has gotten so narrow that, frankly, I just ask. I said, I will say, what would you like? And sometimes I will even have her shop for it and then hand it to me to wrap. That way. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes you, you think you're hitting that home run and it's it's fair, fair, fair until it hits the foul pole and goes off in the wrong direction. Now, there are some people right now that might be listening to that and saying, oh, Dave, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. Because what Dave is basically saying is, hey, what do you want? OK, go ahead and shop for it. Go ahead, give it to me and I'll wrap it because now, you know, on Christmas Day, that's you right. hit a home run. Yes, and at our age, we forget things quickly anyway, so she'll still be surprised. No doubt about it. No <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, did you, uh, by the way, I want to thank you on the air. You did get me a Christmas gift this year. Yes, I, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. It is time rich for chocolate. Car- rich it's chocolate. Rich chocolate. The richest. It's flecked with gold. Is, is, that, is that Mercer <laughs> Island chocolate? Yes, it is. Made right here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey. Choke Points, brought to you by Acton's Quality Roofing. Because Chris hasn't done enough this morning, we're going to make him do a choke point, too. And uh, today, it's your tips for uh, surviving the airport during Christmas week. Uh, Actually, surviving the airport today seems to be like the big challenge. Yeah, definitely. uh, Uh, Even though Thursday, they say, is going to be the the heaviest day, Perry Cooper told me. But, I mean, the obvious one is the easiest one. It's the one that you really have the most control over, which is what time you get there. Uh, And rule number one is just get there early. Because I have found, because I've been flying a lot, as you know, lately is it's always better to be sitting at a cafe inside the terminal waiting for your plane than it is to be nervously pacing in that TSA line while your plane is already boarding. So if you can, find somebody who can get you there. So having somebody drop you off or pick them up is a win for everybody. SEA's Perry Cooper calls those people heroes. If you can be that person that helps drop them off at the airport so they don't have to use their car or park their car in some uh, location that they may have a hard time finding, 
you'll be a hero to yourself as well as everybody else that ends up using the airport. And for that wonderful person, my advice is simple. Think opposite. The trick is so easy, but is so underutilized. Use the terminal approach that is obvious opposite the heaviest traffic. Just because you're dropping somebody off doesn't mean you need to use the departures deck. There's no law requiring that. There's no RCW change in the legislature. Just go to the arrivals deck. Switch up the way in which you pick people up. If you're picking them up, go on the departure drive. If you're dropping them off go down on the arrivals drive that's always a great clue there as well too if you do plan to park at the airport just remember there are not as many spaces off-site as there used to be about 800 to a thousand spots at the lots around the airport closed we're talking some smaller ones they closed during the pandemic because there wasn't the demand and they just haven't reopened if you're using the garage plan a lot of extra time searching for a spot and the airport's cooper says the best thing to do is to head south first the south end of the garage is what doesn't fill up the fastest because you've got more flights on the north end so if you check to the south end first that's probably a great bet and then as you go up a little bit higher into those floors like six seven and eight those tend to be the last ones to be filled up as well then too and i cannot recommend spot saver enough i have flown out as sea six times in the last two months and the spot saver program saves me every single time even this last weekend at the beginning of the christmas week of holiday travel i walked right up to the id check without a wait it's like fast pass at disney cooper said you can reserve your spot at the front of the TSA line up to 72 hours in advance. You will get a QR code that shows you a checkpoint and a 15-minute space within that checkpoint that you can then just show up to the front of the line and get in through ahead of all of those general screening folks. All you need to do, give them a little bit of information, including your flight info, and you're on your way. Now, you, this doesn't work if you have pre-check, but those lines are usually okay anyway. Uh, what it does is uh, you, you still have to take off your shoes and all that stuff. It just lets you cut the line. My final tip is just try to relax during this. Just know what you're getting into and then go back to the top of the list. Number one, get there early. That's, again, the thing that you can control the most about getting to the airport, and especially on a day like today. As I said, sipping a bloody <clears throat> something or a nice cup of coffee there and relaxing is a lot easier than biting your nails waiting in that TSA line. And you can reserve a spot even if you, you haven't racked up a million miles. On yeah, you. this is open to everybody. I mean, again, there are only a certain amount of 15-minute windows that they can do. And even if you go there, say you're taking your shuttle to the airport right now, you can go and check that spot saver and see if there's a 15-minute space available for you even now. Uh, and you can do it. Uh, it just you know, 72 hours is the outside window, which you could, you know, you have the most opportunity. But, yeah, even if you're there, you can give it a shot and see if you – because if you can get in – you're going to save 30 minutes. So, well, I mean, it's worth it's, it just to feel special, just to be able to stride past. Yeah, a lot else. of people are wondering, you know, so I've noticed too, they look at me and you know, they're like, what? Are, that's not pre. What are those people doing? I'm like, man, it's just, it's spot saver. It's a really good thing. And I wish people would use it, even though I know that means it'll make my flight, my late line a little longer. But yeah, I think people should use it. It's a great, great service that they started. And again, it was created here at SEA and started here. And uh, airports around the country are picking it up. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you will never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.